episode number 51. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from Authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Higher Life Podcast. This week we have the special holiday edition on Pesach. How to make your faith real, why Passover is so important. We're going to have a powerful parable about returning a suit, a great story about Rabshak and peace in your home, making compliments fit. And now, the Torah portion of the week with novel ideas from the classic commentaries. So, in the Haggadah that we read on Pesach, the verse says like this Even if all of us were wise, all of understanding, all of us aged, all of us knowledgeable in Torah, we would still be commanded to tell the story of the Exodus from Egypt. And whoever expands upon this tale of the Exodus merits praise. So the verse is telling us that we need to speak about Yitzhiyot Mitzrayim the entire night. The more we speak about Yitzhiyot Mitzrayim, the more praiseworthy it is. So the question is, why is the story of Yitzhiyot Mitzrayim going out of Egypt so important and so fundamental to the Jewish faith? If you look in the Ramban at the end of Parsha's bow, he explains there the importance of the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. He says like this, God commanded us that we should constantly have a reminder and a sign for what our eyes saw in Egypt. And we have to transmit this matter to our children and to our children's children until the last generation. And it's very stringent. How do we know? We know that if someone eats chametz on Pesach, for example, eats bread on Pesach, the punishment is death by the hand of heaven. And if someone doesn't bring a korban Pesach, also the punishment is death by the hands of heaven. It's a very strict punishment. And we have to say it over to our children for all the generations. Not only that, we know that it has to be written in our tefillin, on our arms and between our eyes. The parshiot, other tefillin, talk about the going out of Mitzrayim. And not only that, a mezuzah on our doors. In the mezuzah, it speaks about the parsha of going out of Mitzrayim. And twice a day, we have to mention it. And it's the Risa, it's from the Torah itself, that we have to mention. After the Shema, we have to mention Pesukim about Yitzhiyot Mitzrayim. Like the verse says, that you will remember the day of your departure from the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And it's also by sukkah. Zecher Yitzhiyot Mitzrayim. We built a sukkah to remember going out of Mitzrayim. And there's many other commandments. For example, Shabbos. Shabbos is Zecher Yitzhiyot Mitzrayim, the remembrance of going out of Egypt. And also, by the redemption of the firstborn, we mentioned going out of Egypt. So it's everywhere. It is the most fundamental concept in Judaism that spreads throughout the entire Torah. And we see to this day that almost every single Jewish family, whether they're Orthodox, Conservative, or Reformed, they still do the Pesach Seder. It's in our blood. It's everywhere. The Haggadah itself is a book that's found in every Jewish home. So question is, what is so essential about remembering going out of Mitzrayim? We put it between our eyes, we put it on our arms, we put it on our doorpost. We remember it on Shabbos. 
We say it twice a day. What is so important about remembering going out of Mitzrayim? So the Ramban wants to answer. He says that from the time that idolatry came in the world, people became corrupted. Corrupted in what? In their faith. The worst corruption is Kofra Beaker. person does not believe at all that there's a God. He believes the world is eternal. It always was here and always will be here. No God at all. The next level, he believes there's a God. But he doesn't believe that God has knowledge of what's going on in this earth. He's somewhere else. And the third level is, he believes that there's a God. And he believes that God knows what's going on. But he doesn't believe in Eshkacha Pratis. He doesn't believe that all the particulars in his life are being led by God. Like God is with him at every moment. This he doesn't believe. So in order to fight these problems of faith, God commanded us to remember Yesias Mitzrayim, the going out of Egypt. How does it work? He says, When God favors a group of people or an individual and performs wonders for him, it becomes clear to all that God is all-powerful. And not only that, if a prophet declared beforehand that these things are going to happen, it's all the more so that people will believe in God. And he says, through this, the entire Torah is sustained. In other words, the experience that we had in Mitzrayim removed any possibility that there was no God, that God's not involved, that God doesn't care, that God's not with us. It removed all that. And therefore, we need to remember it every day in every which way. And how is it that what happened in Mitzrayim gave us faith? The Pesukim say, it Shmos, it says, So you will know that I am Hashem in the midst of the land. That was talking about the wild beast, the plague of the wild beast. That shows divine providence that Hashem separated the Jews and kept them safe when these wild beasts were running around. So you see there's Hashkaka Pratis, you see there's providence. Another Pasuk says, So that you should know the earth is Hashem's. That was talking about what? That was talking about the hell which shows us that God created the world because he has shlita over the hell, because he has control over the hell. Another Pasuk says, so that you shall know that there is none like me in all the world. That's talking about the killing of the firstborn, that God is omnipotent. He rules over everything. We saw it with our own eyes. I like to bring Rubenu Bachi at this point who explains that the plagues were connected against the four elements, what we call teva, nature. He said that the fact that the water turned to blood and that there was frogs, that showed that God was, had control over the water. The lice and the wild beasts, that showed that God controlled the earth. The fact that all the animals died and there was darkness, that showed that God had control over the air. The locust showed that God had control over the vegetation. So we saw from the plagues that God has control over the earth. God has control over the wind, the air, the atmosphere. God has control over fire. And God has control over the water. All four elements. And Rabbein Obachir brings down last but not least, from the fact that the firstborn died, that shows that God has control over life. So we experienced in Mitzrayim 
And we saw with our own eyes that God controls everything. There is no Teva. There is no nature. We reach the state of pure faith. We experience faith. We saw that nature was just a mask. Underneath everything, God's controlling everything. So the Ramban goes on to explain that God does not perform a sign and wonder in every generation in the sight of every evil person and unbeliever. He doesn't show everyone, but rather he commanded us to have constant signs to remember Yisiyah's Mitzrayim. And that's why it's such a fundamental point in the Torah. Because it's the foundation of our faith. The remembering of going out of Mitzrayim and the Pesach Seder is what keeps us Jewish through all the generations. Without it, there would be no Jews left. We'd be lost. We would have lost our faith. And the Pesach Seder is now the time to get back our faith and to strengthen our faith. Because now is the Eitz Ratzon. It's the time when it's happening. You see, Mizraim actually happens on the night of the Seder. It's a time where we can build our faith. I want to bring Rabbi Rucham Amir who explains the Ramban. He says like this. He says there's many shades of belief. There's many levels. Each individual has to grow in his own faith. It's not black or white faith. There's how much faith do you really have? He brings a Gemara and Sota that says like this. Someone who has food for today, he doesn't have food for tomorrow. He has food for today. But if he's worried about tomorrow, he's considered a person of a little faith. Because the same God who gave him food today is the God that's going to give him food tomorrow. He explains that at the time of the Exodus, faith was clear as a bell, shining and clear. He brings Rav Moshe Kadavo, who explains every hint of skepticism ceased to exist. Faith shone forth bright and revealed. So that was good for then, but what about now? So now we have all the mitzvahs that have Zechar Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, the remembrance of going out of Egypt. And we have the Pesach Seder. And the more we speak, the more praiseworthy it is, because the more it's going to penetrate our hearts. Real, real faith. He says a man doesn't lie to his children. When it comes to things that are important, a man doesn't lie. This God went on for generation after generation, from father to son to grandson, and continued all the generations until today. The Jews on the Pesach Seder are still speaking about Yesus Mitzrayim. The going out of Egypt. And the more we think about it, and the more we talk about it, the more faith we're going to have. I always heard that Rev Chaskel used to speak about Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim all the time. It's a famous thing. Now I finally understood what it means. Because Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim is the foundation of our faith. It's understanding that there is no Teva, that God's controlling everything. Every person you meet, everything you hear, everything you see, your parnasa, your finances. Your health, everything is dependent upon God. Rev. Yeruchim continues, and he brings down a Pasuk from David HaMelech. When a multiple of thoughts are within me, your comfortings bring joy to my soul. He explains that the more a man reviews his knowledge and understanding and thinks about his faith, the more they are absorbed and they influence him. By multiplying the signs of remembrance, the radiance of faith becomes evident with every step, beyond the shadow of a doubt. And this is exactly why 
the more we speak about Yesias Mitzrayim at the Pesach Seder, the more praiseworthy it is. Why? Because it goes deeper into your soul, into your neshama, that you should really be a person of true faith, really believe in God, trust in God. Don't worry about tomorrow. God is taking you to today. And he says, if you don't reach his level of faith, must be that the exodus, the redemption, has become dim in your eyes. Because if you would go over again the redemption, your faith would be strengthened. The fact that you don't have faith means, by definition, it's become weak. Your conceptual understanding of it is not there. Now the question is, what's so important about faith? Okay, faith. Faith is a very nice thing, obviously. It gives you manukas and efforts. You can be relaxed. You can be calm. But the Rambam explains it's much, much more than that. you got to hear this. This is unbelievable. He brings the Perkyavis that says, You should be exacting in the performing of a minor commandment just as you are in a major commandment. Why is that? Because in fact, they're all major. They're all huge. Why? Because even the smallest mitzvah that a person does, he's acknowledging that there's a God. And he says, For the ultimate objective of all the commandments is that we should believe in our God and acknowledge Him that He created us. This is the purpose of creation. It's not a question of faith just for us, that we should be relaxed. No, faith is the purpose for what you were created. To see the Creator, to know the Creator, to be connected with the Creator. This is why you were created. It's unbelievable. And that's why the Pesach Seder is so important, because this is the Avoda. This is the work we do on the night of the Seder, to reconnect with God, the purpose of our creation. Listen to this, he says, Besides the fact that we should believe in God and acknowledge that He created us, we have no other explanation for what we were created for. There is no other explanation. He says, The Most High has no desire for earthbound creatures except this, that man should know and acknowledge his God, that he created him. Unbelievable. There is no other purpose to life. This is the Ramban speaking. And he says, this is the purpose of a synagogue, a place where we go to pray. We go there and we publicize and we declare before Hashem, we are your creations. The Pasuk says, and they call out mightily to God. From here we learn that when you pray, you should pray with a loud voice. Because it's the Kiddush Hashem. Just walking into a Beit Knesset and davening a little bit or saying Yehesh Rabbah to a Kaddish is an unbelievable thing. It's the purpose for what you were created to acknowledge that there's a God. This is unbelievable. This is unreal. Even the smallest mitzvah shows that you admit that there's a God, that you have faith. And that's the purpose for which we created. Instead, if a person doesn't have this, he has no share in the Torah. If he doesn't admit that all of life is a hidden miracle, he's not part of the Jewish people. He has to know and believe that if you do the mitzvahs, you'll be rewarded. And if you sin, you'll be punished. And this is the purpose for which we were created. The Pasuk says, And then all the peoples of the earth will see that the name of Hashem is proclaimed upon you and they will revere you. We as Jews know that Hashem is the one who's controlling everything. Hashem is the one who rewards us, and Hashem is the one who punishes us. 
And how do we know that? Because it's been passed down to us generation after generation. It's in our blood. It's the Pesach Seder. It's in the Haggadah. It's in our intelligence. It's obvious. And this is what we're supposed to work on during Pesach, to have real, real faith, real trust in God, to believe that everything happens as min that comes directly from God, to not have anger, and to be humble, and to understand that every little thing that happens to us comes directly from God. That's real faith. There is no teva. There is no nature. God has control over the earth, the wind, the fire, and the water. He has control over everything. That's real faith. And this is what Rav Moshe Feinstein says on a different verse in the Haggadah. The verse says, Even if we were all men of wisdom, it would still be an obligation upon us to tell about the exodus from Egypt. We still have to talk about it. Because there's no end. He explains. Even though we are obviously familiar with the concept of going out of Egypt, it demands a very high level of contemplation. For the miracles which occurred in the course of the Exodus came from a source way, way far beyond the intelligence of any human being. The more a person delves into the details of the story of Exodus, no matter what his own level, no matter how much knowledge he has, he gets more appreciation for God's infinite wisdom. There's no end. And that's why we say Hari Zemushubach. He's praiseworthy if he stays up the whole night and speaks about it. That it should penetrate his heart. That's called praiseworthy. That's the greatest thing that a Jew can do. To build his faith. Because that's what he's created for. I just want to end off with the Maharal. There's a Gemara in Brachos 33b that says like this. One time somebody went to pray in front of Evchanina. And he started out praying. He said, the great, the mighty, the awesome, powerful, strong, fearful, omnipotent, all-powerful, incontestable, honored, God. So the Rav said to him, have you finished all the praises of your Lord? Why do you need so many praises? It's only because that Moshe said in the Torah, these three praises, which is great, mighty, and awesome, which is what we use during the Shemona Esrei, it's only because Moshe said them that we're allowed to say them. Why? Because it's comparable to a human king who had millions of golden dinars, and people start praising him for his silver. So of course it could be demeaning to the king. So the Maharal's question is, why is it Harizem and Shubach? Why, if we talk about the going out of Egypt all night, is that called Meshubach? There's no end to God's greatness. We could talk for the next billion years, it doesn't mean anything. Adarabah, just the opposite. It turns out to be a good night because we can't say everything. So the Maharal explains, when it comes to praising God, you're right. There's no end. So whatever you say is not going to be enough. Better to limit it to a couple of things and leave it like that. But when it comes to expressing gratitude, we don't say there's a limit. You can say all you want and say the entire night. So according to this, the Haggadah is in the subject of gratitude. We speak the whole night to say, thank you, Hashem. Thank you for everything. Thank you for our existence. Thank you for creating me. And this is exactly what the Ramban said. The Most High has no desire for earthbound creatures except this, that man should know and acknowledge his God that he created him. So that we could talk about the entire night. I hope this helps to change your Seder. We have an opportunity now to build our faith, 
The Lel Seder, the night of the Seder, we can reach higher and higher levels that can change our life completely, become a new person. A Jew who has real faith in his Creator and knows that God's taking care of him and loves him and wants him to come close to him. Here is a powerful parable The Magi Maduvna brings this verse. It says, When your children will ask you, What is this service of yours? So we know that's a Pasuk they bring out in the Gada. The Gada says like this, What does the wicked son say? What is his service to you? To you, but not to himself. Since he excludes himself from the group, he denies that which is fundamental. He's Kofrabik. He doesn't believe in God. You too should set his teeth on edge and say to him, It is because of this that Hashem did for me when I went out of Egypt. For me, but not for him. Had he been there, he would not have been redeemed. So he brings a mushal. One time there was a poor man who saved penny after penny, and finally had all the money he needed for the upcoming holidays. He went to the city to go buy everything for the holiday, and he saw a man selling beautiful clothing. So what he did, he decided to use all of his money to buy himself a nice suit for Yom Tov. What happened? He gets home. His wife starts yelling at him. Where? Where's all the stuff? Were you going to make Kiddushan on your suit? She tells him, Go back to the man and tell him you found a flaw in the garment and you want your money back. So the man ran back fast. He said to the woman, please give me back my money. I found a flaw in the garment and I don't want it. So the merchant said, fine, and gave back the money. So when the workers saw what happened, they said to the owner, they said, why you gave him back his money? You should just give him another suit. He said, listen, this poor man didn't want to buy a suit. He just needed his money back. Look how he asked for it. First he said, give me back my money. And afterwards, he said, I found a flaw in the suit. If I want to give him a different suit, he also would have found a flaw in that one. So the nimshaw is, there are two types of people. There are people who ask about the mitzvahs because they really want to keep the mitzvahs. They're God-fearing people. There's a second type of person who asks about the mitzvahs. Why? Because he wants to find a flaw. No matter what you answer him, he's going to find a new flaw. We have to make sure we're not one of those people. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. So Rav Shach's son-in-law, before he got married to his daughter, had the minhag, the custom of not eating gabrok on Pesach, which means not mixing matzah with water. It's a minhag. His custom was to be more strict. So after he was engaged, Rav Shach invited him for the Pesach Seder. So he asked the Rav, he asked Rav Shach, what's your custom? Do you eat gabrok or not? So he said, no, we don't eat gabroks. So shortly after that, his son-in-law happened to be speaking with the stipler. The stipler asked him if he ate gabroks. He said, no. He said, and what about your father-in-law, Rev Shach? Does he eat gabroks? He said, no, he also doesn't eat. So the stipler smiled. He said, listen, Rev Shach is no youngster. I'm sure it's hard for him to refrain from eating his accustomed softened matzah. To soften with water. I think you should go to a basin, and annoy your custom that you have to eat kabrakt, because you'll make it much easier for your father-in-law. So after that, when the son-in-law mentioned to Rav Shach that he annulled his custom with the Jewish court, so Rav Shach returned to eating his matzah soaked in water. You see the good mitos that Rav Shach had to make his son-in-law feel comfortable. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. So if Simca Cohen talks about making compliments fit, 
He says, if you give praise to your wife or your husband, you should verbalize it at some length. It shouldn't be so short. You should make it a little bit longer. Also, your face has to match what you're saying. The Pasuk says, whatever comes from the speaker's heart enters into the listener's heart. Also, you should repeat your compliment a second time and make it genuine. So a lot of newly married people don't understand why do I have to give all these compliments? A man will say, can't my wife see from my face that I'm enjoying the food? Do I have to tell her? Do I have to spell it out? The answer is yes. A wife wants to hear her husband praise her. Because why? Because it rings in her ears for quite a long time after that. Thank you is not enough. You have to praise your wife and tell her how good the food is. And you mentioned again also later how delicious dinner was. On the other hand, you can have overkill, and that you definitely don't want to do. A man shouldn't say things to his wife like, you're the best educator in the world. And a wife shouldn't say, you're the greatest Torah scholar of the generation. Because everybody knows it's not true. And this is what the Maharal explains in the Gemara that says that one should only tell a part of a person's praise in his presence. Why? Because if you say all the praise, that would be considered flattery. The person feels you're manipulating them. But if you say part of the praise, that's going to bring love. Because it shows that you value the other person. It has to conform with the self-image of the other person, not beyond. Praise has to fit. The compliment has to fit the person. However, the greater danger is not to say enough. That's what most of us do. We don't give enough praise. But you also have to be a little bit careful not to give too much. And there's another problem with compliments. Your spouse could feel that you're trying to manipulate. A husband says, I only get compliments like this when she's getting ready to ask for something big. He says one time he was counseling a couple, and he says, it's very hard for me to compliment my wife. I just don't know the right words. I'm just a plain, simple man. The wife burst out. You don't know the right words? When you want something from me, you do. All of a sudden, you become a poet, an author, a professor. You name it. You have the right words. A person should be giving compliments just to meet the emotional needs of the other person and not to gain something. If there happens to be a situation later where you also gain something, so it's not so bad, but if you constantly give compliments. But you have to give compliments with a pure heart, not for any alternative reasons. So it's best to praise your spouse when you don't want anything from them. Also, you have to be careful when giving compliments that people make diukim, they make inferences. For example, if somebody says to somebody, you've been very good recently, we can mash, but make a deal, confer that, well, before I wasn't good, which gets the person aggravated. Or, for example, in therapy, the husband said, my wife never praises me. And she says, I'm always telling him he's a wonderful father to our children. He says, yeah, what does that mean? I'm a wonderful father to our children, but I'm a lousy husband. That's what she means by that. So you have to be careful that your compliments are really not just a put down. One good way to give a compliment is when you see your children behaving well, you say, oh, you're just like Ima, which gives a compliment to your wife. Or you can give other indirect compliments. For example, at the Shabbos table, the husband, the woman says, your father's saying something very important. Or later in the conversation, the father says, your mother just said something very intelligent related to what I was speaking about. So we see there's a lot of indirect ways to give compliments also. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with your friend. Please do me a personal favor and go to iTunes and leave a comment and a rating. It's the only way that this tour is going to spread. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMinterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments. 